Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I just feel a bit like, why do I think I'm entitled to look younger than I am? I am 40. I don't actually want to look younger than I am. I just want to look like a good version of where I'm at. And mm-hmm. um, for me, Botox would not be the path to looking like a good version of me now. It would actually be an attempt to make something undo itself. I don't really mind if my friends or people I meet think, oh, she looks her age. Like, that doesn't actually freak me out. I just feel like, well, yeah, like, that's, that's as it should be. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, invite a guest to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the singer-songwriter Sophie Ellis-Bexter to have a chat about how she's balanced raising five children and working hard, choosing glow over being tanned, how she handled the huge success she had when very young, why she does her own makeup before going on stage, and joyously for me, we divert towards the end to discuss Greece and Elvis. Before the episode, I just wanted to flag that we recorded in her house before the current lockdown situation, so please don't think we are breaking rules. Also, for those of you who haven't yet joined Sophie's Kitchen Discos over on Instagram, I would heartily recommend them if you're after a little light relief right now. That said, over to Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hello. (laughs) Right, so your mum had you at 23. Mm -hmm. And then her career flourished and she she started to work at Blue Peter and that was in the 80s when the working mum model wasn't anywhere near as kind of talked about or celebrated as it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, How aware were you growing up with a mum who's doing things her own way and how did you feel about that? Um, Well, I guess uh, it's sort of twofold. I mean, obviously you can't be very objective when you're four or something um, because you don't know any example of any other life. But that being said, I, I was very aware of how my mum was getting on with things because um, she was a single parent between the ages when I was four till seven, um, which is exactly the same time pretty much she was doing Blue Peter because she did it that till uh, from when I was four till when I was eight because she met my stepdad when I was seven and then they um, had my little brother Jack when I was eight and then she stopped working at Blue Peter. Um, so from, for the first three years when she was doing Blue Peter, which was a really intense period of work for my mum, I was, it was just me and her, and we lived in a little flat, and I was, yeah, very aware of, of the shape of her days and what she was up to each day, which, you know, sounds like an obvious thing for a kid, but actually if you ask half of mine what I do for a living, they probably won't really remember, but because yeah. it was just the two of us, I was really aware. <laughs> and so did you spend a lot of time on set with her, and did her beauty rituals and products kind of imprint themselves on your mind? Um, not so much when she was on the telly, but before that, when I was much younger, because she did a lot of theatre. So my mum went to Central to study drama and then did lots and lots of theatre when I was really little. And I remember that more because that was proper sort of theatre makeup and like smell of the grease paint and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. And yeah, there's definitely like bits and bobs of her makeup bag and that kind of thing that 
really would, if I could smell those products now, they'd take me straight back. I was pretty fascinated. Were you a bit grabby about it? Did you want to put it on yourself? Definitely, yes, okay. 100%. Yeah. Did you ever succeed? Yeah, yeah, I think she <laughs> let me play, just the way I let my kids play, really. And uh, it's, I, I just loved the, the feel of it. And I think when you're little, you're so obsessed with the things that adults do to sort of transform themselves, aren't you? You've talked about being taller than your siblings. Mm. Being taller than when you're older is something that people tend to go, oh, you're so lucky you're a bit tall or whatever <laughs> it is. But when you're young, it's a bit of a mixed bag. People have spoken previously about it making them feel a little bit big and maybe ungainly. Did you feel that or were yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I was not just taller than my siblings, I was taller than everybody. Like my my mum, my stepdad, my stepmom. The only person who's taller than me in my family is my dad, okay. which might not be the case anymore because I've got um, sisters, two sisters and a brother on my dad's side who are only just in their early 20s now. I'm pretty sure my sister on that side is a bit taller than me. My brother definitely is. Mm. But on my mum's side, I'm definitely the tallest one. Um, so certainly when I was like 15, 16, yeah, I felt, I felt kind of ridiculous. And also because I knew that I was the daughter from my mum's first marriage, which my stepdad never made me feel different. He always treated me like one of his own. But just, I, you know, to the outside eye, I knew that's the case. So I just felt it was really obvious in a lineup which one you'd pick yeah. as the one that doesn't come from that family yeah of course and what did you look like at the time were you someone who adopted makeup fairly early mm, no not like massively I think probably when I was about 15 I started wearing it a bit but I wasn't someone that felt particularly confident and actually I'm quite amazed really at how much more savvy and aware of like brands and things like that my little sister was I'm eight, 11 years older than my sister Martha mm-hmm. so I, I'm really close to her and by the time she was 15 she already was like well I don't want to just wear that I want like Mac and yeah you know, Charlotte Tilbury or whenever else is around. But for me, it was very much like whatever was in boots. Did you have any of those? So, that, so mid-90s, I'm trying to think of the brands that were around, but I guess it was like kind of Rimmel and maybe early Mac and stuff. Was there anything yeah. that you really set your cap at and thought it has to be this? Um, no, I've always... And even now, I'm still quite open to anything, really, because uh, you can get such amazing colours and pigments all across the board so long as, you know... Like, so many places, things are made in the same factories and all that sort of stuff anyway. Um and I think certainly when it comes to eyeshadows and lipsticks, I'm really open-minded. Nail varnish, things like that. They, yeah. they can be cheap and cheerful. But um, I think, I mean, I, certainly when I started singing, which was from when I was 16, um, actually probably when I was about 18 and I had my record deal, that's when I started actually thinking about what brands I had. And, you know, I, I, don't know, I did a video and so there's a makeup artist and she was explaining to me about things like Mac and I'm trying to remember yeah you're right what else Bobby Brown I think was around then mm-hmm. and it was like okay that's the sorts of thing I want to have and I've, I've still got I don't know how um, approving you'll be of this I've still got some eyeshadows and things like that from then I still have some eyeshadows from them I don't <laughs> use them but I like having them I know them. I don't yeah. use them either in fact I just got rid of some lipsticks from like I'm, I'm just not going to wear these yeah. when I was like 19 yeah it's quite <laughs> nice though to have them sometimes it's like a, yeah. a thrilling thing and it sends you right back and very different colours to things I pick now as well yeah it's funny. definitely changed I wanted to ask you about skin colour because you're fairly pale. You've got these blue eyes and it's kind of like Celtic, I say, colouring, mm. right? And mid-90s, late-90s, everyone was fake tanning and stuff. Mm. And you weren't, from what I can tell. No, I've never fake tanned in my life. Okay, so were you always just fine with your skin colour? Um, well, I think it's that normal thing, really. And I've sort of tried to impart this, well, certainly to my teenager. But the things that set you apart in your early teenage years are mortifying. And you don't want to be anything like... You want to be like everybody else. So I remember very clearly girls in my school um, talking about how they'd sort of base themselves in olive oil to go sun, sun tanning and like they really everybody wanted to be brown I knew I couldn't do that so I didn't bother because that would just burn and it'd be horrible but by the time I got to the end of my teenage years I was actually really happy 
all the things that used to set you apart that were frustrating suddenly become things that actually are like are unique mm-hmm. and you suddenly realise how important it is to not be part of the crowd actually certainly with what I was doing for a living as well did you have anyone you looked up to in terms of their appearance mm, I don't know well yes I mean there's loads of things that I think inspired me mm. like when I was really small I used to watch the video for Hey Mickey with Tony Basil over and over that's when I was probably about three or four mm-hmm. and she had really bright makeup and looked quite quirky um, and then I remember things like even like watching Grease and the way that that, that whole aesthetic and Mary Poppins sort of look and all these sorts of things I think I was always into that sorry that sounded background to my small yeah. smallest um, Mickey who's about to go to bed um, and then um, I'm trying to think when I was a teenager who I looked up to I mean I suppose I would just look at all the kind of indie girls really I was mm. massively into reading Melody Maker and Enemy and watching videos so people like um, PJ Harvey who always had like she often had like bold eyeshadow and really full on lashes and then maybe like a really amazing lip colour mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think I think girls like that really women like that you mentioned so. singing at about 18 but I actually got down that you took part in a children's opera at 13 is that right? yeah but that was actually the sort of slightly misleading title really because the that was actually it's actually a play that's like a musical that they put on okay. um, like a community one so it's, like, it's got its funding and then um, so it was a sort of extracurricular thing that I did, and I used to do any any old singing at school as well, like uh, any musical. When any did musical you realise you could sing? Um, I knew I could hold a tune from when I was quite small, but it didn't occur to me to be a singer until I was about yeah sixteen. Okay. So I always thought relatively late, to be honest, because I didn't. It didn't kind of. I, I don't know. I was very clear-minded before that but all these other things I wanted to do but when I found that I was like oh no this is definitely what I should be doing yeah and you say it was relatively late but then success kind of met you very young so when I was 16 I met this guy who was looking for a singer for his band Mm. and then he'd already written loads of songs and we did our first gig um I think probably just before I turned 17 and we got one record deal offer and then we did another gig, another offer, another gig, another offer. And by the time we'd done six gigs, we had six offers. Okay. And then he used my 18th birthday as the deadline for choosing who we were going to sign to. So we had about a year of sort of talking to different labels and talking about the sort of deal we'd have. And then on the night of my 18th birthday, we did a gig um, at a place called The Borderline. And, um, and on stage at midnight, we announced who we were going to sign to. So that was just, that happened in April. I then sat my A-levels in June and then I was off on tour by like August. You've mentioned the Britpop thing Mm. and kind of how that was huge at that point and Ledette culture and stuff. Mm. Did that intimidate you? Did it excite you? How did you feel about that? Frustrated me. Oh, really? Yeah, I really didn't like anything about that Ladette thing at all because for me, it was all sort of dressed up as an idea of being equal, being equal to men. But really it wasn't. It was being equal to a... A type of man that I don't really want to be equal to. I'd rather aim a bit higher, thanks. So I, did, I was sort of confused by it. I thought it was actually not particularly helpful. But then I can understand that, I don't know, in some ways, you know, feminism is still still probably in its infancy in terms of, you know, where we are in history. And I suppose you've got to try on different hats and experiment with different things. And of course, if that's how you want to approach it, absolutely. But for me, I just felt like it was sort of muddying things a bit because... I didn't like that kind of bloke and I wasn't particularly inspired by that kind of woman either. At that point, when you decided to be a singer, did you, was there any sense of wanting to assume an image or to go a certain way with the way you projected yourself on stage? Um, oh, yeah, I mean, I think as the older I get, 
gotten and the more experience I've had, mm. the, the the less of a gap there is between me off stage and on stage. But when I was younger, no, I found it all really quite nerve wracking and intimidating, and so I just actually kind of. Uh, put myself on quite a low dial I think and just didn't really chat that much just sing the song wouldn't move around would mm. be quite still if there was an awkward bit in between songs when someone was I don't know changing a string on a guitar I'd tell a joke it was just all a bit a bit awkward really but good practice right because that's Loads how you of learn practice. yeah but always a bit a bit watched I mean I know that you know 99.9% of people have never heard of my first band but within that within that world that indie world it was still something where there was like quite a lot of hype Mm-hmm. So I've always had, I don't think I've ever had a bit where I've been, felt like I'm practicing completely, you know, without anyone kind of judging really. But maybe you always feel like that when you get up on stage. It's probably quite a natural thing, isn't it? You really hit the world stage when you were 21 mm-hmm. and then it suddenly became that Groove Jet song that came into being was not only a big song and obviously went on to become number one, but you were fighting as it were for number one against Victoria Beckham and that was a really big news story what was your experience of that um well I didn't feel too much like it was you know women against women exactly I think it was just a really big news story because actually it was about house music against garage it was um you know sort of Ionapa scene versus Ibiza there were loads of currents going on there and also the fact that I understood that it's a good angle you've had all the Spice Girls you like one of the biggest pop groups ever and the final solo artist to emerge from that and everybody else from that had had a number one and the pressure was really on her um and obviously at the time the Beckhams was you know as mm. they still are massive in the media so I kind of got that but I just felt like it was just kind of ridiculous really because um there was nothing I could do about anything all I could do was just go around wherever we were invited and sing the song and promote the fact the song was coming out but really I felt like, well, it's kind of a done deal, isn't it? They're gonna, they're gonna be number one, and that'll be that. And I just, I more felt like I didn't really want anyone feeling sorry for me or saying, oh, that's a shame you're number two because I just come off the bat of having my first band break up, losing my record deal, feeling like I was probably never gonna make it as a singer. So for me, I was in the midst of my biggest success ever, and I didn't want anyone feeling sorry for me if it, if I didn't get number one. I was like, it's still, still pretty impressive for me. At the time, were you as level-headed about it as you are now? You know what, I think I probably was, only because I'd had the failure with my band. Like, the, when my band had, had split up and, you know, losing a record deal while your friends are still at university and all that, it was pretty horrible. I was only 20, mm. and suddenly I felt quite high and dry, really. And everybody else, you know, I'd I'd gone to a private fee-paying all-girls school. All my friends went off to uni. I felt like I'd really... It was quite amazing that my parents, after giving me this education you know I turned around at the end of it and rather than saying I'm going to go and study English or wherever I said thanks for everything but I'm off on tour and I've signed a record deal and they could have been pretty horrified really and actually they were really supportive so I think I just felt a bit what do I do now I couldn't mm. think what else I wanted to do already by then I felt like I don't want to go to uni now because I'll be older than everybody even the ones that took a year out um, I don't really know if that's right for me anyway. I don't really feel like I've got another skill set. I, I just didn't really know what to do with myself. So when everything happened with GrooveJet, I just remember thinking I've got to really take everything that's happening in because this is very unusual and having it on the 6 o'clock news or on the front of a tabloid newspaper about your song coming out is a real, really unusual occurrence. Mm. So I just kind of wanted to remember lots of it really and treat it as a cartoony thing. I, mean, I think that's 
The thing I've been really lucky about as well is my parents, because they both worked in telly, they've never become starstruck by any aspect of my career. They've always just looked out for my emotional well-being. Mm. So no matter what I've done, they've never got kind of swept away by the zhuzhiness of it or been dropped down to earth when something doesn't work out the way we imagined. They've always just been like, that's how it goes. How are you? So I think um, I think that's probably what really helped me, really. Mm. But then you got the number one spot that you weren't mm. expecting to get. Yeah, it was really it was, it was actually a really exciting week um, <laughs> because back then as well, the songs were released on a Monday and you'd get the chart position on Sunday. And so on the Tuesday, that song was 2,000 ahead. On the Wednesday, it was 1,500 ahead. On the Thursday, it was 1,000 ahead. On the Friday, it was only 500 in it. There were only 500 sales ahead. And then it went quiet on the Saturday. And on the Sunday, we got the phone call and we'd actually sold 20,000 more copies on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize that dance music sold really well on the weekends because people are like, I want to have that song to play tonight or whatever. Mm -hmm. So so it was a really nice surprise. How did you celebrate? Oh, rubbish, because I didn't have a manager and I didn't have a record deal at the time. So I'd done it as a featured artist. So I wasn't part of that label and I wasn't managed by, by Spiller's management. So I was exhausted. Everything was coming through my mobile phone. Every time that, that the PR for the song would phone me and say, we need, Spiller, the guy that had put the track together, he was only in the UK for one week and it wasn't that week. My manager that I had had parted company with me the week that the song came out. He said, I don't know if I can manage you because I don't really know the dance music scene. So I just felt quite on my own, really. And so I got to the end of the week and I was so tired. I remember meeting my boyfriend at the time in the pub. He brought, they didn't, we asked for champagne, they didn't have any. He brought me over a pint. I think I drank about half of it and I was like, I need to go home. Aww. I'm just exhausted. I was just, I couldn't even function. My brain had just melted, I think. <laughs> at the time, did you feel the scrutiny of your appearance because you were in the public eye? Um, probably, but that's not really my memory of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And what products were you using on stage then? When you were going on stage, do you remember anything? Because the 90s was such a particular era, but I feel like you didn't subscribe, as you've said, to the whole, like, brown lips liner around your lips and yeah. that sort of thing. You didn't do any of that, did then. you? Yeah. I don't suit that, and I don't suit, like, a smoky eye and all those mm-hmm. things. If I suited that, I'd definitely do it. If I suited a tan, I'd be there. But um, what did I, you know, I just remember um, I had a lovely makeup artist that had worked with me on the Groove Jet video. Mm. Um and I think even though there was lots of stuff about tanning, there was also lots of stuff about dewy skin and all this kind of thing. So just, um, I used to use uh, a sun cream. I don't know if it was called like Uvistat, something like that. And it had like this kind of, you know, sometimes sun creams have got almost like a sheen to them. Yeah. So I used to put that on first and then put my foundation on top. So you still had that kind of dewiness. Mm. And then the black tick eyeliner. And I think probably on my lips, I probably would have used something like, these big colour, they've all discontinued it. So nice. there used to be something called Flare Up that NARS did. And it was like a really nice reddy orange. It was like kind of quite a thick yeah. lip gloss, but you could put it on a bit thinner. Or there's one that um, Estee Lauder did as well called Red Orange, which again got discontinued, mm. which I loved so much. I wore it when I got married as well. The final thing I want to talk to you about from this period of your life is the challenges surrounding carving out your career when there are no accepted sort of steps to follow. How did you navigate that? And what would you suggest to people who work outside of offices or jobs with a clearly defined path maybe you should bear in mind? Mm, well, I suppose for me, I've always really embraced the fact that I don't have a normal job and that it's not got those confines. I think, I think it's down a lot to personality type. I don't know how much you can sort of teach someone to be okay with that because some people just like the stability of knowing what the month's going to hold and how much they're going to earn and what days they have, you know, for their holidays and all of that. And I am just someone that loves the fact that 
I might get an email later today or a phone call tomorrow that totally changes everything I think is about to happen. Like I completely thrive on that. And I've also, I'm quite relaxed about the fact that I can start most years not really seeing further than a couple of months ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite unusual for me to know what I'll be doing by the end of the year. And I, I just really like it. I think you have to just like it, really. Yeah. Um, and just roll with it. Um, you know, and it does, it definitely staves off the boredom. And I think, I think it sets you up for so much in life if you're someone that's quite adaptable, really, because so much of life you can't plan and you can't mm-hmm. predict. Um, and certainly it, it, it's slightly, I think it's quite a good bedfellow with, with parenthood really because there's a lot of question marks there too and you have to be quite reactive and I think my work's very reactive. So I was going to come on to motherhood now. You have five children. Oh. First two, you had preeclampsia with, is that right? Mm-hmm. And then you went on to have three more without that. That's right, yeah. How did you balance, how do you balance having your job and five children and how did you balance pregnancies and the stresses with them and things like that around working? I think I've got better. Um, when I had Sunny, my first, it, w- it was all quite stressful, really. Um, not not without being happy, but just it was quite intense, really, because um, Richard and I had only just started going out. Um, he'd been in my band, so we already felt quite self-conscious about the fact that we were about to start dating. So when we had on our first date, we didn't really tell anybody. And then after we'd been going out for a month and a half, I realised I was pregnant. And so suddenly we had to tell everybody what was happening um like not only yeah um, we're going out and also having a baby were you nervous at that point because it's quite a big thing in an early part of a relationship uh I suppose I said if it's nerves exactly I think we just both found it it sounds really awful and I don't mean it in a light-hearted way but we just found it all quite a bit almost a bit funny I mean there were definitely some moments where you had to really take stock and plan things but among in amongst all the like ridiculousness it still kind of made some weird kind of sense. Mm. I guess we already knew that we felt quite seriously about each other. Mm-hmm. And um, and even though, you know, I'm not, like, completely insane, so it wasn't a planned baby, because I think that would be a bit, a bit keen. But it did sort of just, yeah, it felt, like, quite natural that we were already a family, in a way. Mm-hmm. And so when Sonny came along, I mean, we, were, we had him when we'd been going out for eight months, because he was born early. So, um, yeah, I think... We were just a, a little family from the, from so early on, really. It's kind of the life we know. I think if you're waiting for the right time, I don't know when I would have ever thought it's the right time. People who've come on the podcast before have talked about... People who are in the public eye have talked about the thing when you give birth and then you go out and you maybe perform or, you know, you put your clothes back on and stuff mm. like that. You've done that five times. Do you have, like, a way that you get back to feeling like you physically? Um, just give it time, really. I think it takes ages. I think it takes... I actually think it takes about a year after having a baby because of all the hormones and how you feel about your body and just getting yourself ready to give yourself time, really. Because certainly for me, when I've had a baby, I'm so happily besotted and consumed with that that I don't even want to break that bubble, really. And I've been lucky enough, again, with my work that I can bring my baby to work with me. Um, So, um, Mickey, I... um, I ended up doing arguably one of the biggest gigs of my career when I was about six months pregnant with him. I did a gig at the Royal Festival Hall with like a 40-piece orchestra. And I I knew I was very early pregnant when I got told that that was all happening. And I was a bit like, oh my goodness, is this like, am I pushing it too far this time? But actually, when it came to it, I found it really empowering. Like, well, why shouldn't you be having like baby number five and jumping around and all this happening? And then when I had him, 
Um, I had a, an album come out two months after he was born and then I went on tour with him when he was about four months and I just took him with me and I just exploit the fact that I'm allowed to do that. I'm very, I'm very fortunate. I saw you support Kylie at Blenheim this mm. summer and Mickey was very young then mm. um, and you were jumping around on stage and I was amazed at how energetic you were but also <laughs> having seen Mickey right before because I know your um, part-time nanny Yelena and she was holding Mickey and she said oh I'm just going to take I'm just going to take Mickey so Sophie can breastfeed him right before she goes on stage and mm. then the disconnect between knowing you've done that and then seeing you come on stage wearing a dress and bouncing around how do you do that in your head do you have mum mode and on stage mode mm, probably but I'm not really aware of the shift I so mean it's really innate well I suppose I've just I'm just quite relaxed about it all at this point really mm-hmm. um I mean it's quite tricky sometimes I've done a couple of festivals and stuff I've taken maybe like my seven-year-old and my ten-year-old and I haven't taken anyone with me to look after them on stage and they've just been at the side of the stage and then I've thought that's quite tricky because I'm sort of looking over and checking on them and are they all right and that can be quite distracting my brain definitely finds that a bit of a flip but with the baby thing um so long as you know that they're safe and happy it's only I'm only on stage for like an hour an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and and actually I think it feels really lovely because you have this nice little my my before I go on stage, I've got about an hour and a half where I'm getting ready, and I don't really need an hour and a half. I probably could get ready in about half an hour, but I like having that length of time so that I can really put out all my stuff and do my hair like and my, mm. slowly and just take my time. And do you like to do it yourself? I do it all myself for gigs. Okay. Always. I don't really want to have anyone involved. I like I like having that little time. It just gives me an opportunity to think things through a little mm. bit, to plan what I might talk about, because I talk quite a lot on stage now. You do, yeah. I mean, I maybe watch something on my iPad, and I quite often watch something that's again like totally nothing to a gig like 24 hours in A&E or something like that because I think I find it really reassuring to remember there's a whole world out there and I think as a performer you can get very fixated on the people that are about to see you but Mm. I'm someone that really likes thinking about the fact that most people are doing their life and even for the people that are watching you you know they've had a whole day and then they might be doing something else later that day and they might be thinking about what they're doing like you know you've got to keep a bit of perspective on the role you're playing in their life it's it's quite small really so mm-hmm. for me I just have that time and if I've got my baby then I'll be thinking about him and then and then by the time I go on stage I'm sort of like okay I'll go and go and do this now and 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 how nice I just get to jump around and sing songs and mm-hmm. talk about myself and call it work like it's ridiculous really hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You did Strictly Come Dancing mm-hmm. in 2013, and you were very good on it. Is that something you keep up now? Um, Well, I mean, having an actual dance teacher like that is something that's never happened to me before or since. And I didn't do, I didn't study dance. Um, The closest I'd come to 
dancing before Strictly in that way was we had a choreographer do um, some of the stuff on Take Me Home and Murder on Dance Floor, which are my first mm. two songs. But but really, I didn't. I, I, the choreographers that would work with, with me for those videos would train, would get this amazing routine for the dancers, and I'd sort of stand in the front and maybe like do a tiny bit of what they're doing behind me. Yeah. But I'd never done anything where it was about like, okay, you're dancing in a partner, and here you go. Mm-hmm. So. It's definitely like one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, it was lovely and I love music and I love dancing, but it was really challenging. Mm. But the thing I did take away from it, and I feel like, again, really fortunate because I think a lot of people do Strictly and they might go back to, I don't know, reading the news or, you know, working with animals or whatever it is that they do on telly that they're known for or being a soap or something. But for me, I could take all my favourite bits of Strictly and then just do them on stage. I didn't have to let go of the things I liked. Mm. And it definitely removed the last bit of um, inhibition, I think. So on stage, I just feel so much more relaxed, so much better at making things bigger and bolder and just worrying less. I think it's also a little bit getting older, but you just that thing of thinking, I know now that if I put my arms out really wide while I'm singing, you'd feel ridiculous in real life. But on stage, if you're at the back, that is the only thing that reads. It's the only thing they're going to see. So just really just going for it with all of that, I think it mm-hmm. massively helped me. Plus, I got a couple of really sparkly leotards that I still wear on stage now. Do you get to keep... Is that all you got to keep? I didn't... You don't get to keep them. I actually became friends with Vicky, who's in the wardrobe department, and when I knew I was going on tour... So I bought mm-hmm. an album out just after Strictly called Wonderlust, and um, I just actually approached her and I said, oh, would you mind if I get one of the these sort of encrusted crystal mm-hmm. um, leotards? Um because I wear that and then I have like a sort of chiffon dress that I put over the top so you can just see the twinkle underneath. Nice. And um, yeah, and yeah she, she made me a couple. They're beautiful. They're completely beautiful. So I'm sitting here now with you and it's what time? Quarter to 12. <laughs> and you have got your children up and mm. you're wearing makeup and you look very <laughs> polished. Uh, tell, me, tell me what works in no time at all for mums who are busy and what you really rely on now um, to get you ready. I think mostly it's just what makes you feel happy, really, because I don't really... I might put some makeup on when I first get up or, you know, when I'm first going out for the mm-hmm. day, but I, I, I'm not someone that will remember to top it up and that kind of thing. So um, what do I do mostly? Um, I'm actually incredibly lazy. <laughs> um, I'll probably sleep in mascara for a few days before I remember to take all of it off. So I just sort of top it up. Um, I'll put a bit of blusher on. For me, eyebrows are always quite important because otherwise I've got quite fair mm-hmm. eyebrows otherwise I might look a bit surprised. And then a bit of something on my lips. I'll only put foundation or something on my skin if I feel like I need it because during the day I don't really want to have thick... I'll, right. I'll only put that on for stage otherwise. Do you have any on now? No. So you've got very clear skin? The moment. Actually. It just depends, you know, what's going on, doesn't it, with yeah. other things. And but. what... Um, what skincare products do you use? Are you particularly precious about anything? I'm actually not. Years ago, my mum was always cleansed home moisturised. You know, she sort of yeah. drilled it into me. So for ages I did it. And then one day I realised, I don't think it's actually that good for my skin. I think I've got quite different skin to my mum's. And it was actually affecting me in a negative way. I think my skin was... It doesn't really need a lot of products. Mm-hmm. So now I'll just... Um, take off you know the basics but then leave i don't even moisturize every day i'll really? just moisturize when i need it yeah but i think it's just too heavy mm. i think it was just too too much um and i know they're terrible for the environment but i do love those wipes when i'm away working because mm. they're just so easy and i usually have one by me while i'm doing my makeup and i'll use it the whole way through and clean my brushes with it so i do get the use but yeah i yeah. know they're not great but it's just convenient quick mm-hmm. um and then um that'll be kind of be me really and what about aging 
something people talk a lot about or talk mm. a lot about holding it back now and there's so many options and uh, I mean uh, as, mm. as I'm 35 and I definitely feel that pull of people say to me oh are you thinking of doing Botox or to oh me God, it's not I'm not it. really interested in it at all no. how do you feel about it and all that no, stuff no I wouldn't do it I, I don't judge people who have um, unless I'm in Monaco where you have to like be like <laughs> wow but you know I was yeah. there the other day for a gig and it's like people watching is pretty impressive <laughs> but, um, but no I mean like I'm, I've actually got really close friends that have done it mm. Um, but for me, I'm like, I just feel a bit like, why do I think I'm entitled to look younger than I am? I am 40. I have, you know, been living my life. I don't, I don't, I don't actually want to look younger than I am. I just want to look like a good version of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And for me, Botox would not be the path to looking like a good version of me now. It would actually be an attempt to make something undo itself. And I don't, I just don't really feel the need to do it. And I... I suppose I just feel like I don't really mind if my friends or people I meet think, oh, she looks her age. Like, that doesn't actually freak me out. I just feel like, well, yeah, like, that's, that's as it should be. You know, people say, oh, you know, how, how do you look young? Like, whatever. But I'm like, well, I don't actually think 40 is super old, actually. I've seen loads of, loads of my girlfriends who are 40, I think, look great. Yeah. So I'm like, why, why am I scared of, of that anyway? Your mum just has written two books. Is that right? Mm. recently and and that's quite a positive role model to have oh no she's incredibly inspiring but not only that she looks great my yeah. mum looks really beautiful she she looks very youthful she's a brilliant advert for being in your 60s mm-hmm. um you know i have my granny she lived till she was in her 90s and she still looked very beautiful um and happy mm-hmm. um i think happiness is a very good tonic for all these things isn't it and actually sometimes maybe that's the thing you've got to underpin it all with, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in a situation where someone or something is making you feel uncomfortable with the way you look, mm-hmm. I'm sure, I know there are exceptions to this, but primar- mainly it might be something you can't necessarily fix with procedures anyway. It comes from something you're feeling about yourself, I think, and where you're at and what you thought you'd be doing now or whatever. Mm. Your most recent album, your sixth album, mm. Familiar, mm. was really well received. Do you sit there and think actually it's about time or is it born of just I've got something to say and I want to write yeah, something yeah that really there's sort of quite a natural cycle to stuff really because um, you make a new record and you're feeling like all the creative juices this is me anyway creative juices and you put it all out there and record it and then you release it and then you just want to tour it and then when you've done that sort of cycle you're like okay I'm ready for something else I and mean, I've had a slight slight uh, detour in the road because I released um, an album last year that was a greatest hits, but with an orchestra. So that was something new, but also... So that was quite a weird thing for me, because I was making an album, but I didn't have to write anything new. That no. felt quite weird. <laughs> but, um, no, was, was that stopped. quite nice, though, to hear them sound fresh? Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. It was good. It was really it was really fun to do something challenging. And, it, and out of it, I got the most amazing thing of touring with the orchestra, which I just adored. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm starting work on a new record. So this will be the third album that I've written with an amazing singer-songwriter called Ed Harcourt. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah no i um i'm just i've been really enjoying it i'm making a new record and the people that have stuck by me with these records have been really they've really given me more than they realize because when i'd done so the album before wonderlust the one i did with ed was very dancey it was called make a scene mm-hmm. so when i was still signed to universal and i did there's a track on it with armin van buren and calvin harris and it's really really dancey and then after that i just felt like i needed to just shake things up and I had no idea how it would be received and I thought I know no one 
was expecting from this from me and they probably don't even want it from me but I made this like folk album where I was like no dance no disco no drum machines no programming on the vocals I just wanted something I just want to do something else I need to try a different part of my brain and um Ed was an amazing guy to work with on that because he's so talented but also he was very generous with me he let me really explore all that and we made this album I'm really proud of and when that did well it meant so much to me and it just taught me you know that the only thing stopping me from trying other things is actually will actually be me because as long as you do things for the right reason why why would I think people can't see here and do something completely different like no one's making those rules except for in my head really when you go off and you say I write with Ed right Mm. I know how busy you must be here. So do you carve out time? Yeah. Do you say that I'm going to go to an office or go away for like three hours of a day? No, I go or... to Ed's studio. Okay. So I drive there. We're going next week. So I've got two days in with him. And then, mm-hmm. so I'll get there sort of mid-morning and then we'll spend the day writing and I'll leave at six and come home again. Mm-hmm. And the same thing the next day. And I I love working. I've tried working from home, but I just really struggle with it. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. I get very distracted uh, my head doesn't really settle. Mm. I can do bits and bobs. I can do sort of like homework almost. Mm-hmm. Sort of, oh, there's a verse I need to finish off or something. But mainly going somewhere else really works for me. And mm. I like being selfish. It's funny, my husband's in a band too and he's had some of the kids involved in like, they'll be, I don't know, recorded a bit of vocal on something. And for me, I'm like, no way. <laughs> I don't want them anywhere near my album. Like, I love them all to mince me and they're like completely the centre of everything. But my albums are for me. I don't want... I don't want to be in that mode when I'm doing that. I want something that's mine. Yeah. Final three questions I'm going to ask you. I ask all my guests. What to your mind first has been your greatest triumph, career or personal? What Do I give one of each? No, no, no. Well, you could do, but just <laughs> a triumph to you that you, if you looked back now at your life and thought, what the greatest thing I've done is, maybe for you not having children, because I'm pretty sure that that would be one of the things that you'd want yeah, to say. Yeah, it would be a pretty boring answer, wouldn't it? Like, heavy <laughs> No, people have said that. It's very valid. But let's take that off the table because I just see yeah. that that comes pretty near the top. Well, I suppose it's probably just the fact that I don't even think... I don't know about Trump because that sort of, sort of makes it seem like I did it by myself. But I think just the fact that I'm still allowed to do the thing I love mm-hmm. is amazing for me. And when you were talking about ageing and all that, I think actually people that do something they've loved since they were young, it's almost like going into a portal. And when I, when I sing and even when I perform, I, it's almost like I can sort of leap through time and I can remember being 17 I can remember doing my early gigs it's like a little a little way to cheat the clock a little bit and then I love that yeah and you can tap into that mm. it's a lovely way to think about it what one piece of advice would you give to your younger self at any age oh golly so much I think I've always tried to live by trusting your instincts because I think when you try and do something as a sort of second guess of what someone else thinks you should do it if it doesn't work out you just it just it doesn't feel right does it um what else i think my younger self i would say don't be so caught up in being cool i think being cool is so overrated and when you're younger you're so worried about that but actually all the coolest people i know have never really felt the need to think about that at all so i think probably i'd take that away from me and say just don't worry about it you're cool is probably not your thing so just <laughs> stop chasing it really yeah it's quite hard though isn't it the awareness of cool I used to be like that and particularly because like I used to watch Greece a lot when I was younger and yeah, stuff like yeah. that and it was very polarised like there were the cool people and not so cool people and yeah. suddenly you're like hang on a sec I definitely and even Sandy goes over to that side in the end that's I mean, what I mean you know. it's like the right I think that's a very bad move actually for children to see in a way I mean it I love that film is. but it yeah. probably is but she, you know, she does look great at the end she like, looks absolutely great and, and she does get John Travolta which I know, is nice I know and they sing the cool song and although he was willing to change 
for her. So I do think that's quite significant because he comes out in the Letterman jacket. So it's a, it, you know. Yeah, it's true. It's he true. was willing to meet her. The bit of that movie I never liked is when the car flies. I don't understand that. I, I was like, don't, don't, why are you doing that now? Everything's someone, fine. Someone said it was a metaphor for um, that it was all a dream. Or, I know, someone like, told me that. That's yeah. annoying as well. I don't want it to be a metaphor. I just yeah. want it to be filmed about those people that get back together and then the car doesn't fly. I agree. If I ever interview Olivia Newton-John, <laughs> I'm going to ask her about that. Yeah. It really annoys me too and yeah. I found that really frustrating. When I was yeah. Right, name three people dead or alive who you would like to have dinner with and why? Um, I'd have to have, I'd love to have Julie Andrews there. I mean, she's like the sort of other voice of my childhood, really. Like, mm. she's like a sort of second mum voice to me. Um, I was pretty obsessed with her growing up and I bet she's got some amazing stories. What's so your favourite Julie Andrews song? I think uh, it's probably The Sound of Music. Yeah. Um, just so many good songs. And, and actually, when you watch it back as an adult, it's quite quirky. <laughs> it's quite odd in places. And actually, if I'm truthful, I used to watch it. And then the bit where it got to the bit with the Nazis, I usually would sort of tail off a bit. Yeah. But the setup at the beginning bit and all the songs with the kids and the dresses mm-hmm. made out of curtains and all of that, like, I love Heaven, all that. Yeah. yeah. And such a good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, Seven children, which you're almost at. They don't respond to a whistle, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going wrong. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I step forward with their names at each point. Um, so, yeah, I'll have her. Um, I would love. Um, oh, can I assume as well at the dinner party? I've already got my friends and yeah, family. Yeah, you've already got people okay. you love. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, I'd have Tina Fey. I mm-hmm. love Tina Fey. Um, I think she's really funny. I love 30 Rock. I like The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I like Mean Girls. Um, I think she's an awesome uh, comedy writer mm-hmm. and I bet she'd be very cool to hang out with as well. Um, and then, who else should I have in there? Probably should balance that with... I think we'll go for Paul Rudd. He always seems like a nice guy. I've never met him. I would have never thought you were going really? to say Paul Rudd. He yeah. just seems nice. Okay. I think he talked to everybody really nicely. He does seem nice. He's Maybe got he's the same been... birthday as my husband. They could chat about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um... The other yeah. person I was thinking of is someone like The Rock. I really like Dwayne Johnson. Do you fancy him? I don't fancy He sort of makes you feel quite safe, doesn't he? Because he's enormous. People have a real thing about him. I've never got it, but I, I understand that he really? is a That's so funny, because I was talking with someone people. yesterday saying there are some people in life I don't think anyone could not like. And I think him and uh, Will Smith have got to be two of the most popular people. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about Elvis? Elvis. Sure. Yeah, because I'm a big Elvis fan. Just um, that. I think he's amazing. I I have a, a funny thing. Our, the first nanny we had, Nanny Claire, who we had for 11 years, and she's still like family now, she is still the biggest Elvis fan I've ever met. Like, goes on the Elvis forums, was the first visitor into Graceland in the year 2000, um, has taken her mum's ashes to Graceland, um, hates Elvis impersonators. Because, Me too. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. a thing, isn't yeah. it? Um She's not a cruel Elvis fan because I know some of them can't stand Lisa Marie and all that stuff. They're really oh, funny yeah. about all that, yeah, yeah, but she's yeah, not yeah. like that. So that's good. She's How old nice. is she? Nanny she Claire. is in her fifties. She <gasps> must be mid fifties. I really want to meet her. Yeah, so she's amazing. like an Elvis yeah. obsessive. So when I think of, Nan- of Elvis, I think of Nanny Claire. Okay. And I remember one time Kit, who's now ten, but at the time he must have been about four. He went. Um, he said, "Why was Elvis so fat when he died?" To hmm. me, and then from the other room, Nanny Claire shouted. It wasn't fat, it was the steroids. They bloated him. <laughs> it's so true, though. It really annoys you. Really and also, he wasn't fat for that long. It's like, I know, it but she was like literally yeah. not even with us. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's a passionate... I guess he'd be a great dinner guest. But then, if I'm honest, do you think... This is a, maybe a very controversial thing to say, okay. but do you think he's got... Do you think he'd have a lot to say for himself? No, he was very shy. Yeah, because I feel like he was maybe... 
on stage he had that thing mm. but actually he had that very controlling manager and I think he'd be a good one-on-one person yeah. I think he had a lot going on within him yes but he's very shy and very southern I was also thinking Phoebe Waller-Bridge but I'm sure everybody would like her Everyone likes it. no one yeah. said her yet though okay well so. she's still available there I mean, we go I think she'd get on really well with Tina Fey they're probably already friends so these are all people who've got a lot to say and are intelligent basically yeah and I think Julie Andrews would I think they would both like her so yeah. maybe we should just go for all the girls let's, let's, let's do that right <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Sophie it's been a pleasure to chat to you today you too Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 